In 2019, Pope Francis canonized one of the 19th century's greatest intellectuals and most famous converts to Catholicism, St. John Henry Newman. Join us as we examine Newman's life and legacy today with Dr. John Crosby, professor of philosophy here at Franciscan University and author of the book, The Personalism of John Henry Newman. I'm Father Dave Pavonk and I'm president of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Father Dave Pavanka. I'm president of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. And we're talking today about St. John Henry Newman. I'm joined with our panelists, Dr. Regis Martin. How are you doing? Yeah, oh, splendid. Wonderful, Thanks. wonderful. Yeah. And Dr. Scott Hahn. It's always nice to have you back with us. We have a special guest today. Uh, is Dr. John Crosby. Dr. Crosby has been a philosophy professor here for... 30. Just say decades? You, you can say three decades. For 30 years. He's just been such a great blessing to, to our university community. And uh, he has a deep love uh, for St. John Newman and wants to be able to share it with us. And yes, you, right. you share in your book that it was actually your grandfather that first introduced Yes, you. when I was a boy, just in my mid-teens, uh, a grandfather whom I revered tremendously said to me, John, you know, you really ought to get acquainted with Cardinal Newman, as he was called <laughs> at the time. And... Uh, you know, the prestige of this grandfather was enough oh, to get me started. Uh, but then, uh, you know, the fascination of Newman. What was it that attracted you? Especially as a young boy. I mean, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Well, you know, Newman was asking and answering a lot of questions that I had on my mind. Mm. That drew me uh, to him. Um, but also, there was this heart of Newman. You know, his mm. motto was cardinal. Was, Heart speaks to heart. Mm. And you feel that in his writings. Uh, you feel addressed in the heart. You feel him speaking from the heart in a most unusual and moving way. Mm. And so he became, as I, following up on the uh, lead of my grandfather, he became, for me, like no one else, a father in faith. Yeah. And uh, then I, mm. when my first son was born, I. Uh, put him under the special protection of yeah, Newman by naming him yeah. well, John, John Henry. You must have been a pretty weird kid <laughs> oh, yeah. as a teenager. <laughs> That's what my sisters all say. Yes, right. <laughs> but you do. You mention early on in the book that it was his uh, robust, resolute rejection of the religion of the day yes. that really turned you on. That's right. The, the sense of Christianity is something everybody takes for granted, right. but only a few take seriously. And here you are, 16 years of age, right. taking it with bloody seriousness. Yes, right. And you've never looked back. Uh, you, it changed no, your life. No, in fact, you know, every time I go back to Newman, I'm always afraid that, uh, you know, it's over now and I move on. Right. But yeah, it's quite. as if something is renewed um, and I go deeper into yeah. him and see more uh, in him. And so it's uh, something an inexhaustible. Something yeah, there's something graced about that. Yes. That, yeah. that it's been a relationship for mm -hmm. 60, roughly yeah, 65 60, years. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, there, there is, has been a real blessing. Uh, and you were able to go to his canonization. 
I attended his Please canonization. Please tell us. Yes. Uh, well, when I was at the canonization, at the papal altar, looking at this big image of Newman that was hung there on the facade of St. Peter's, I had to flash back to a moment in, I think it was 1858, when Newman, um, there was a dispute within the oratory in, Rome, in, in England, and he wanted to come to Rome and settle it. And it was a time of great discouragement in his life. So Newman enters Rome, and it's cold and wet and dirty, and he takes off his shoes and enters barefoot. He wants to enter as a penitent. Mm -hmm. And uh, here, here I was, 150 years later, where the man who had humbled himself like that was now being exalted to That's the beautiful. honors of the altar. Yeah. And of course, Newman is known as yeah. the convert, you know. Yes, right. And yet, when you read him, as you point out, yeah. he doesn't preach conversion. His contemporaries yeah. did. Right, right, you know? right, right. There was really something of um, Christ. There was something of right. truth and beauty. And uh, yeah. I, I remember resisting reading Newman uh -huh. when I was converting yeah. myself because yeah. it just seemed like, oh, that you know, that's the main road, and I don't want to go there. And so uh, uh, I read him after I became Catholic, uh, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. And it, I think I appreciated him much more. Because yeah, yeah. there wasn't, a, you know, the, uh, the reduction of Newman to the convert, the apologia. It, yeah. it, it's so much more about the beauty of the truth of the faith right. that I found right. after I had yeah. come home for the yeah, most yeah, part. Yeah. Well, Dr. Grice, maybe you could just share that story, his, his conversion story, for those who aren't oh. familiar with him. Well, that's, uh, that's a, a, a long yeah, uh, yeah. story. Um, is, uh, well, well let, let's start with this. Conversion means two things. There's a first conversion at age 15, where Newman is drifting into a kind of unbelief. He's fascinated with authors like Hume and Voltaire. And in some mysterious way, the Lord caught him. Hmm. And he underwent a profound conversion. God and from that time on was somehow consecrated yeah. uh, to the Lord. That's Newman's real conversion. Yeah, now maybe you're asking about no, his, both, actually both. his reception both into the church, yeah. But um, that, uh, it, he even dates it, it lasted, he said, for about three months and then something stopped, some, some uh, extraordinary mm -hmm. inspiration stopped, but he was somehow sealed for God through that mysterious encounter. 15-year-old kid. 15-year-old okay. boy. Uh, and so then he, um, you know, becomes uh, uh, an Anglican priest. And then he studies deeply uh, the early church, what he called the primitive church, the church of the martyrs and the mm -hmm. church of the, of the Greek fathers. And he gets an ideal of Christianity that fires his imagination. Then he looks around him in the Church of England and he sees there's not too much of this zeal of the Church of the Martyrs. Mm. And so there grew in his heart the sense he is called to renew the Church of England, to call it back to its apostolic roots. And uh, so arose this thing known to history as the Oxford Movement, a movement of profound renewal that uh, Newman was the guiding yeah, spirit yeah, of, yeah. Uh, primarily through his inspired preaching uh, at the uh, 
Church of St. Mary the Virgin in Oxford. So uh, Newman attempts this work of reform, uh, and it's not, it wasn't like reforming institutional structures, it was infusing this spirit of the radical Christianity yeah. of the first age of the church and the spirit of the Greek fathers right. who so formed Newman. And he discovered as he went uh, that the Church of England did not recognize uh, this Oxford movement and its apostolic spirit. It didn't recognize it as uh, really belonging to the Church of England. And increasingly, bishops would condemn Newman and his writings. And he came to see that the Oxford movement and everything that it stood for in the way of apostolic truth and apostolic practice was being expelled like a foreign body. And so Newman had to think, perhaps the Church of England wasn't what I thought it was. And so he was then led eventually to see the Roman Catholic Church as the real legitimate descendant of these revered Greek fathers. Would it, would it be accurate to say that he starts off as an evangelical Protestant? Yeah, he called himself uh, that uh, and A kind early of low on. church. And so there's yeah. a conversion later to Anglican yeah. as a kind of middle way. Yeah, right. Right. Hoping that they would kind of pick up on this, and mm -hmm. uh, nearly a hundred tracts of the time for the Times. Yeah, right, right. How many of how many of those was was he responsible for? He wrote, uh, I guess, most, most of, of them. Yeah, yeah. So. most of some of them were book length treatises, and then the final one, the famous uh, tract ninety, 90. Uh, that's what provoked the rejection of the bishops right. and made Newman feel the Church of England is fundamentally inhospitable to this apostolic legacy that the, I want the, to revive in England. The, the irony is that the Catholic Church didn't end up becoming totally hospitable. Yes, that's him. right. You know, yeah, that's he right. enters the church and it's a, it's a bumpy road. Yes. John, you know? uh, yeah, I, I don't want to uh, inflate your ego, but yeah. I am struck by a certain parallel. Uh -huh. I mean, you uh, are seduced by Newman at age 16, yeah. more or less. Yeah. And Newman, around the same age, yeah. uh, is, is seduced by yeah. this evangelical imperative yeah. of returning to a really primitive, rigorous right. observance of the Christian thing. And he becomes aware of these two profound, luminously self-evident propositions. Right. I think that's his uh, formulation, right. himself and God. Right. And he moves between those two polarities yeah. and I guess eventually stumbles upon, soldiers on, uh, and falls into the Catholic faith because that becomes the only real legitimate mediating principle between those two poles. Yeah. But your own life, I, I yes. think parallels yes. that, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, Newman shows you uh, the way. Yeah. I mean, what other sixteen-year-old uh, <laughs> yes. would be so beguiled well, by a nineteen? That's probably the extent churchman. of the similarity. <laughs> but at sixteen, there was something significant something, in his life and my life. And then it all shuts down. Uh, but for the rest, uh, yeah. you know, there's a, a great deal more contrast yeah. than uh, similarity. But he was precociously religious yeah. uh, at such yeah, a, a young age. And you know, it. it it's remarkable that he felt drawn to a life of consecrated celibacy, right. though yeah. it was not practiced in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was a kind of prompting there of, in the heart that uh, uh, had no support from right. the outside. Right. To go back just to what 
Scott alluded to, when I was reading it, it's just the sense of kind of his perseverance and yeah. his conviction that yeah. uh, every step of the way, yeah. it, was, it was difficult and he had oh, to yeah. fight for it. And yeah, you alluded yeah. to when he came into the church, it yeah. wasn't this, right. maybe speak to that, just the difficulties yes. oh. he had at the very beginning with that. Yeah, right. So yes, he's a, uh, at the center of all kinds of controversy and then rejection in the Church right. of England. Yeah. You would think that when he arrives home, yeah. the Church of Rome, things will be peaceful. Rejoicing. They didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, he was um, a subject of uh, a great deal of suspicion. Uh, you know, that had a lot of different reasons. Newman had a very high esteem for the lay vocation. His studies of the early church mm -hmm. showed him what a major role lay men and women played in saving the faith of the church um, in the time of the Arian heresy. Mm -hmm. he, his history study showed him that uh, bishop after bishop was right. holding, and it was the lay faithful, the, the, the descendants of the martyrs, who really preserved the faith. And so right. he took away from that the idea uh, that the lay state is you know, a form of, of sanctity. It's not like just there for the morally mediocre right, right. Uh, who don't want to make too many sacrifices and just... Right. No. And, but in, in England there was plenty of what Pope Francis calls clericalism and mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. Newman's esteem for the, the layman uh, rubbed against uh, this clericalism right, right. and uh, made him enemies. But there were other uh, causes to, for, uh, maybe more fundamental uh, uh, than the lay issue is uh, the fact that he, uh, 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 that he had a sense that we're entering a new age and he wanted to face the issues of the new age. Mm -hmm. He wanted to uh, uh, hear what the men and women of this new age were saying. He wanted to enter with sympathy into their, like the Vatican Council says there, uh, mm -hmm. joys and hopes mm -hmm. and griefs. And, but that, that stance of somehow listening to the modern world uh, and maybe learning a thing or two and learning how to proclaim the faith in this new setting, that was not very welcome uh, in England. There was a more defensive attitude of the church toward the modern world. Father Carr, the biographer of Newman, has said the church was, as it were, under martial law since the Council of Trent. And so Newman, uh, Newman's aspiration to uh, uh, face the, the, the new age and listen and engage it in debate and discussion yeah. was unwelcome. And he was even perceived to be dangerous. Right, yeah. Um, There's the uh, statement of the... Yeah, I mean, he, he was uh, the, the rightly uh, impatient with this sense of siege, yeah. Yeah. rear guard right. reaction right, 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 to right. everything modern. Right. And he was open uh, to right. uh, these new currents. Right. In fact, you quote somebody who describes him as a, a Christian Socrates, yeah. sort of poised on the right. threshold right. of this new age, and personalism becomes the instrument. Yes, right. But that's probably for uh, another uh, uh, session. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's a good segue. Just to be in the next yeah. session, be able to talk a little bit about that. How he was 
able to navigate those waters yeah, and right. obviously become the saint that he is. Yeah. So uh, we have much more to say about uh, John Henry Newman, so stay with us on University Presents. When I was 15 in the autumn of 1816, a great change of thought took place in me. I fell under the influence of a definite creed, and received into my intellect impressions of dogma which, through God's mercy, have never been effaced or obscured. I believed that the inward conversion of which I was conscious, and of which I still am more certain than that I have hands and feet, would last into the next life, and that I was elected to eternal glory. St. John Henry Newman Apologia. There is a place where education begins, and faith and reason connect. Franciscan University of Steubenville's online programs will advance your career through an e-learning experience that's both academically excellent and passionately Catholic. With online degrees taught by full-time professors in theology, catechetics, business, education, and other disciplines, you can earn your master's degree online without changing your lifestyle. Find out more today at franciscan.edu, where your faith and career can connect online. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We are talking about St. John Henry Newman. Uh, and Regis, you spoke of personalism at the end of our so uh -huh. This is key in, in your right. book. It's key in, in being able right. to understand Newman. That's right. That's the title of my book, The Personalism of Newman. And so I use that as a kind of interpretive key for no. receiving his whole legacy. So here's a specimen of his personalism. In an early sermon preached when he was 30, uh, entitled Personal, Personal Influence, the True Means of Propagating the Gospel. He argues that it is not primarily learned books or cleverly written tracts. It is not the protection of the state. It is, above all, the, the witness of the personal sanctity of the believer. That's what transcends yeah, yeah. the gospel like nothing else. Mm -hmm. And so that, there's a personalist theme there. It's the living person embodying the gospel that uh, has this power of really transmitting. Yeah. And it's, it's not even the sanctity, yeah. it's the saint. That's right. And they're so different. Right. The saints right. are. That's a good yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. And is that would make it too abstract. Just exactly. The same. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, there's nothing abstract. It's the, the, person, person. the person in front of you. Yeah. The, the uniqueness yeah. of the that friendship. individual. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what struck people who heard him yeah. uh, uh, back in the 19th century. Yeah. I think of William Gladstone. Yes. Right. Uh, who was profoundly moved by, yeah. by right. Newman, but not sufficiently to become Catholic. But right. there was something about the purity of his character, the whole Holiness of, of his heart, this, right. the utter sincerity right. of this man that that uh, sort of spellbound yeah. people. They were they were yeah. dazzled by him, yeah. Uh, yeah, and no. he could turn your life upside down yes. uh, with a sentence. Yeah. And he understood you. 
Uh, The medium of his own soul was somehow reproduced in yours. Uh, And he had this connaturality, this bond between you uh, and himself. And and that resonated uh, with the congregation. He knows me. He knows my secret. That's also part of the personalism of Newman, the way he could read the heart uh, of his listeners and interpret it for them. Maybe just on that note, his... His motto was, heart yeah. speaks to heart, right, so that right. speaks to exactly what his relationship was with yeah. other people. Yeah, right, exactly. He, and behind that is a certain reserve about human reason, and especially yeah. deductive, demonstrative yeah. reason. That can only accomplish so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, what, what really connects with people is when you speak heart to heart. Uh, and like you describe it very right. well, that well yeah. people felt that he was somehow reading their most intimate right. thoughts right. and interpreting them. Yeah. Well, you, you reproduce uh, on the front piece of, of your book that, that marvelous passage from uh, Newman where he really is sort of dismissing the whole scholastic yeah. scaffolding of yeah. arguments right. to prove God's yeah. existence because yeah. they don't warm the heart. They don't uh, remove right. the desolation, you know, right. the winter of my desolation. Right. They don't somehow fire the moral imagination. Right. And he's spot on. They don't. Yes. Well, I want to read that. Please. Motto. It's just uh, a sentence from um, Newman. Uh, and he says, I am far from denying the real force of the arguments in proof of a God, but these do not warm me or enlighten me. They do not take away the winter of my desolation or make the buds unfold and the leaves grow within you and my moral being rejoice. So he's looking for a knowledge of God that makes the buds unfold, Mm, mm, uh, takes away the winter of his desolation. That's that's the heart knowledge. uh, And that's only possible if there's a genuine human encounter of two people. That that he had as a 15-year-old with the Lord first, I think. That's right. That that he's simply articulating what he experienced. Isn't this how Christ conveyed the message of the New Testament? He didn't send memos. He didn't hit people (laughs) over the head with syllogisms. But he spoke to them. Yeah. Like Zacchaeus, look, I want to have lunch with you, or yes. maybe it was supper. Come yes. down, yes. let's go eat. Right. Mm-hmm. The, that degree of subjectivity, yeah. though, yeah. could easily be misperceived oh, yes. as yeah, leaving yeah. the door open to subjectivism. Right. Yeah. Right. But it's the interiority on the one side yeah. that this man has mm. a depth, mm. but it's also a kind of theocentricity. Yeah. You bring this out that there yeah. is, you know, there's no rejection of the dogmatical principle. No. You know, there is a God-centeredness that goes beyond the notion of auto, you know, the, the idea of the holy, mm-hmm. where you have this mysterium fashionans as well as the tremendum. You're, you're scared and yet you're drawn. But he's not looking at his own experience. Yeah. He's interior. He's subjective. He communicates as a person, this living encounter with the living God, with Christ. And, uh, you know, personal influence. And yet, you know, very few, I I like the the little barb that you do toward distance learning. (laughs) But in a certain sense, all of us have learned Newman through an even more distant learning, through books, through sermons. When a person has that much self-possession, that much interiority, Mm -hmm. that much fullness of Christ, 
you know, even through books and many other media, you can still yeah. get a sense that his heart is still speaking right. to mine, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. it sort of necessarily spills over from the written page. But again, there is an impediment. Uh, you, I think you touch upon this. Uh, Dietrich von Hildebrand was a great mentor of yours, and yet uh, you, you sort of critique him uh, because he doesn't stand up as well as Newman because with von Hildebrand, there isn't that same sympathy that somehow uh, mm -hmm. uh, exudes from the yeah. presence of the man. Newman right. has it, and yet he's been dead for 150 That's years, right. Right. and yet it's somehow there palpable on the page. Whereas von Hildebrand, I mean, despite Transformation in Christ, right. a classic right. work, you right. don't have that same sympathy. That's Why right. is it? I, it is a mysterious gift or charism that, uh, that Newman had uh, and, and Hildebrand being more philosophically oriented and stating things in principle uh, doesn't uh, in the same way have. It. I just, when I was reading, I was just imagining what it must have been like to sit in his class. Yeah, yeah. You know, to be able to, because that he's got obviously an unbelievable intellect and an unbelievable mind, yeah. but the way he's able to share that right. and, and engage the heart, what, what would have been his, you, you talk quite a bit about education, we've yeah. mentioned education, his, his classes and, and oh. how he saw the role of education, yeah. particularly here at Franciscan University, oh, yeah. what we've tried to establish. Yeah, well, uh, we, we, we hear a lot uh, in, from Newman's contemporaries, uh, 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 a great deal about him as a preacher and what kind of presence he had in the pulpit and how he abstained from all oratorical flourish, right. all raising of his voice. There was, uh, it was like the, the silent whisper that mm -hmm. uh, Elijah here right. finally right. hears. That was the voice, with, but it was a voice that um, was unforgettable and yeah. uh, uh, in its quietness had tremendous power for right, yeah. his listeners. Yeah. Uh, so uh, well, you so that, that's one it, example. Could I uh, recount it, that? Because it's so moving. Yeah. Uh, he's giving a kind of inventory of the physical sufferings yeah. that Jesus had to endure, yeah. this detailed list. Yeah. And then suddenly he stops and there is this silence that fills the air. Yeah. And then he invites everyone to Please recollect that all of this is happening right. to the living God. Right. And you could hear a pin drop. It's electrifying. Right. Yeah. He had that effect, that yeah. presence. That's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. In reading that, I'm moved yeah. by yeah. the kind of vicarious kick. Yeah. And I'm not even there at right. St. Mary's. Right. It is a kind of magic. Yes, yes it is. And I, I marvel at the fact that, though I never heard his living voice, He's able to put himself into the sermons so that I, I feel like I have an experience very like right. yeah. those, uh, yeah. those listeners of, of his had. Can you distinguish between the university sermons that he preached at St. Mary's while yeah. an Anglican yeah. from the sermons that he preached after he became a Catholic? A Catholic. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, um, I, I, they're not great. There's one volume of Catholic sermons right. that are more finished compositions which he felt was more in the Catholic style. But for the most part, it's, uh, it's the same Newman yeah, right. uh, preaching the same gospel. Did he read his sermons as a Catholic preacher? Uh, you know, he they... couldn't. No, he followed the Catholic practice of speaking extempore, and so he just 
use notes. That's why we have so few of the Catholic mm -hmm. servants. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because uh, there are nothing but the outlines left of right. which he spoke. Exactly. Whereas as an Anglican, it was customary to produce a full text and right. uh, read it. Yeah. So, yeah, so unfortunately, um, we've got far more Anglican But the Catholic servants. Newman comes out almost right. as much, maybe yeah. as much yeah. or more. Well, that's why he was able to reprint. Uh, the Anglican sermons, right? Of the Catholic. Well, he's all of a piece. I mean, yes. his life is 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 sort of a seamless whole. Yes. And I think the the recurrent theme is this intensity of attention paid to Christ, yes. who spoke to him at an early age, unmistakably, right. numinously, right. Uh, even. Right. He has that awareness that I'm standing in the presence of the living God. Yes. And and that's sort of cauterizing, but at the same time, it's captivating. It's comforting. Yes. Yes. He is my Savior. He's not here to do me mischief. Yes. Yeah, you can get a sense that it's Christ's heart speaking to him. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think he did the lectures on justification yeah. way before he became Catholic. Right, he did. Right? In the right. 1830s, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. 37. And, you know, the voice of Christ, when God speaks, you know, I remember reading that as a Protestant yeah. and realizing he, he has me because yeah. God can't declare someone to be righteous without doing it. His yeah. word is yeah. just, it's not, it's not just powerful in a coercive sense, yeah, yeah. you know, an external force. Yeah. It is an interior word that transforms you from the inside. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I, I'm in trouble. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and he was too, but it was yeah. still years before right. he, he follows that trajectory all the way right. Right. into Mother Church. And I'd also say that, you know, here is a, a celebrated Anglican preacher, you know, not celebrated by the hierarchy as much as by those who were thoughtful. And he freely enters into the Catholic Church. Yeah. Uh, but those who were cradle Catholics, you know, or the recusant, you know, and the, the ultramontanist Catholics probably grew up as Englishmen feeling besieged, you know, and so psychologically you can understand why Newman's approach coming into the church yeah is different than those who are already in it and yeah. feeling sort of pressed in and yeah, besieged. That's right, right. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's right. Newman, uh, uh, like Regis was saying, uh, pushed back against the siege mentality. Right. He yeah, yeah. Uh, felt that the modern world merited a more creative right. uh, uh, yeah. response. He freely enters the fortress, though, yeah. you know, yeah. in a way that the defenders of the fortress yeah. never had the luxury. Right. But the fact that he remains widely misunderstood and even yeah. maligned, uh, uh -huh. even by those in, in whose embrace yeah, uh, right. he welcomes, because he does right. genuinely pope, he leaves Protestantism behind, yeah. that wreckage, but he's he continues to be misunderstood, yeah. they snipe at him, and in a way he really is like uh, the modern Socrates yeah. who came to a bad end. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Persecuted by, by those who should really be sympathetic. Yes, 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 yeah. Uh, no. you, you speak a little bit about in the, just his virtue, and, and we've spoken about the heart, but obviously a great intellect, yeah. and his intellectual virtue, and maybe just to help us understand that. Yeah, yeah, so he thought of himself as first and foremost an educator. Uh, that's what he can do to build up uh, the body of Christ, to do his work as educator. And so when this new Catholic university was proposed for Ireland in the 1850s, it was natural to turn to Newman as the founding rector right. of that. Yeah. And he labored for seven or so years to raise the funds and hire the faculty. And, right, yeah. But most of all, he provided a vision mm -hmm. of education. Uh, and that is in this famous 
work the idea of a university. Uh, and How about we stop there yeah. and pick that up as soon as we All right. Great. <laughs> we'll be right back with more Franciscan University Presents. Please stay with us. I have nothing of a saint about me, as everyone knows, and it is a severe and salutary mortification to be thought next door to one. I have no tendency to be a saint. It is a sad thing to say. Saints are not literary men. They do not love the classics. They do not write tales. I may be well enough on my way, but it is not the high line. It is enough for me to black the saint's shoes, if St. Philip uses blacking in heaven. St. John Henry Newman, Letters and Diaries, 13. What if you discovered a university with unmatched science, faculty, and programs? A place where you didn't have to choose science over faith. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll find faith-inspired, student-focused, research-driven programs leading to satisfying careers in medicine, scientific research, engineering, computer science, and many more science and health fields. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, education is more than just a word, it's a discovery. And welcome back and thanks so much for joining us. You're watching Franciscan University Presents, which is being recorded in the Communication Arts Studio here on the campus of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Our students are operating the cameras and all the equipment. Members of our theology faculty, Dr. Martin and Dr. Hahn are with us, and we're discussing St. John Henry Newman with our guest, Dr. John Crosby, who's been teaching here at this university mm -hmm. for 30 years. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Crosby, my suspicion is, is that St. John Henry Newman would be very pleased with you. Yeah. So, but I, you, yeah. we, we left at the last part that yeah. he was founding this university in Ireland. That's right. And he, had this and idea he, and he this. provides a vision for Catholic education, which is the most important part of his legacy from his years in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And so he explains that uh, uh, education is not just a utilitarian thing preparing you for a vocation. There is this thing of liberal education, a kind of knowledge worth having for its own sake. And he offers in this book uh, the classic defense right. of liberal education. There is no other right. word yeah. Yeah. like it or that can compare right. to Newman's defense of it. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a great fan of uh, Mark Van Doren, who was steeped in in Newman's idea of a university yeah. and wrote a book uh, about liberal education, and and he defines it so succinctly as those things we are not at liberty to omit yeah. because they determine at the deepest yeah. level what it means to be a human person, yeah, right. the pursuit of excellence for its own sake. Exactly. Well, I think liberal is confusing to so many because yeah. they don't recognize that it liberates that it brings the interior freedom right. that vocational training doesn't really allow. Right. In fact, Newman says there's something servile about exactly. the vocational training, right. necessary as it is, mm -hmm. but it's servile because it's knowledge just instrumental right. for a purpose. That's right. But the liberal knowledge is freeing, right. you know, from the Latin liber, free, right. because it's worth having for its own sake. For its own sake. So right. yeah. the mind is freed up. Right. Uh, 
for the truth and through liberal education. And there, you know, I, I'm all in favor of required religion and philosophy courses, but that wasn't his way. You know, theology departments didn't exist then, apart right. from seminaries. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and in fact, not until like the 1940s yeah. in American mm -hmm. Catholic universities. But it wasn't just required religion, morals, history, mm -hmm. apologetics. Mm -hmm. There is an understanding of natural religion in yeah. Newman. Yeah. I think that is quite unexpected or counterintuitive for most mm -hmm. Catholics. And mm -hmm. there's something else too, and that is he acknowledges the two faculties of intellect and will. Mm -hmm. But I think he goes beyond the x-ray of the soul's mm -hmm. faculties mm -hmm. and, and, and perceives the intangible, the, yeah. the thing that doesn't show up on the x-ray, which is the heart. Right. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and something mm -hmm. else about him, this isn't so much the idea of a university, but in his preaching. Mm -hmm. You know, you really get a sense at least I get a I get a real deep sense that I know him, mm. although he hardly ever talks about himself. Yeah, right, right, and it's yeah. like, wait a second, you know, yeah. he didn't say last week I was, you know, yeah. or when yeah. I was a child. Yeah. But what you get a sense of is that you don't just know what he's thinking, you don't just know the yeah. intentionality yeah. of his will, you know the depth of his own experience as a person oh, yeah. Yeah. in encountering that's Christ. Extraordinary, and others. That's that. yeah. extraordinary gift to make himself present and exactly. without calling attention to himself, but to let you hear, right. you know, the beating of his own heart. No, we speak of the real presence of the body, blood, soul, and divinity, yeah. but he reminds me that we perhaps yeah. should shift to the real presence of the person yeah, yeah. along with the body, blood, yeah, soul, and yeah, divinity, yeah, you know? Because yeah, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, I could go on. Yeah, no, that's another aspect of his you know, personalism. It, yeah. uh, this this element in, in Newman of the otherness of, of God yeah. and the spirit world, yeah. uh, he brings it uh, alive. Yeah. It's almost as if you can see the ghost in the room. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. not an encyclopedia entry. Right. Uh, right. It, it's palpable. The sense of otherness, uh, that God really is this, this tremendous other, yeah. first and foremost, right. and one is prostrate before him. I was really struck by the fact that he would chant uh -huh. the articles of the Athanasian yes. Creed, right. because that was a sort of gesture of adoration. Yeah, yes. That's yeah, how right. he expressed right. the dogmatic yeah, There was principle. praise, that's the word that came to my mind. There was this that. praise that was really yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, that's the yeah. kind of but charismatic it was worship it, it that I, I would you uh, said that. wish to cultivate. Yeah, yeah. But it, I thought, that, again, with your quote, the, the blooming and the blossoming of the leaves, and you could yeah. just see yeah. that as he was praying that, that yes. literally this was taking place right. in his life. And I think that's what he preached from, is, is that yeah, the, this was his... It experience. shows his theocentric spirit, you right. know, yeah. Yeah. being yeah. utterly centered on God. And so the Athanasian Creed that unpacks the Trinitarian yeah. mystery is, fills him with awe. And and, uh, and and that the, and, the chief, and a spirit of adoration. Right, and the chief affirmation we make about it is is that this is the imminent God. This is who God is in Himself. Yeah. Never mind what He's doing for right. us. Right. That's right. not right. of primary importance. Right. Right. Yeah. No. He often would say that on Trinity Sunday when right. he was preaching, right. we're setting aside all the great events of our redemption and all that right. God has right. done yeah. for us. Yeah. We're entering yeah. into yeah. the mystery of who He is yeah. in Himself, and that. Phil Newman with a particular uh, but it was, joyful adoration. To and be. what he was able, as has been mentioned several times, what he was able to encounter an individual yeah. for who they were, not for what they were going to yeah, do yeah. for him, not yeah. what he could do or their yeah. capacity, but for who that individual was. Yeah. Well, we've come a long way, I think, because, uh, I mean, Newman was not at all 
embarrassed or hesitant yeah. to talk about God as God yeah. on Trinity Sunday. But nowadays, yeah. I think the pastor wants to talk about church finances <laughs> on that feast day, anything, but to have to say something about God, I to know. parse that mystery. And it's felt to be like over, overly intellectual, you know, to right. go into right. the creed and the particular articles And it's of really faith. sort of condescending. It's insulting to the congregation yeah. to say, you know, you're just not smart enough uh, to talk about God. Yeah. This is beyond you. Let's, yeah. let's keep it simple. Yeah, you know, Jesus is the all-day sucker. Yeah. But that's where the heart, I think, when we've alluded to it several times, this sense of the heart was that that's what he ultimately spoke to, yeah. and that's what made him so effective. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just given what we've gone through right, over the last right. almost year, uh, yeah. That there was an epidemic when he yeah. was. When it was, was a cholera epidemic yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in uh, 1849, yeah. all over England, and it was very intense yeah. in Birmingham where he was. Uh, and uh, the Bishop of Birmingham uh, asked Newman to lend him some oratorians. Newman had established the oratory of St. Philip Neri in Birmingham, lend him some oratorians to go minister to the dying. And Newman uh, responded, uh, uh, I'll go. Mm. And so he went, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. and ministered to yeah. uh, uh, the dying, and, um, and which shows something very important about him. He was this great intellect with this vision of the future, but he did not shrink from the humblest tasks right. of he a parish a priest. He was a pastor. He was a yeah. pastor. Yeah. He, paid bills for parishioners who didn't have money. He helped them find work. Uh, he, you know, catechized children. Nothing was too right. menial uh, that, that for him. Really in fact, he says in one place, in a letter, early letter he wrote as an Anglican, when a priest spends too much time preaching and writing, it's dangerous. It mm. inflates the ego. He needs to be in his parochial. Smell like the sheep. That's yeah. what. That, that's, that's that, that is more yeah. impressive, I, I think, right. than the whole weight of his scholarship. That's yeah, what right. commends him. I mean, that radical uh, sense that this is what Christ would have me do: go yeah. out and, uh, right. and and see people where they are, right. even if they're covered with uh, cholera. Right. I mean, he's sort of like his master, Philip uh, Neri, yeah. who, when he died and they opened up his his heart, it was about the size of a. Volkswagen. Yeah. I mean, John Henry Newman was like that. Yeah. I mean, this is the heart talking, speaking to another heart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, do you get a sense that he was nevertheless somewhat of an introvert? Yeah, I mean, uh, 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 as we use that term, he was something of an introvert. But uh, he transcends himself. I uh, had a very intense natural shyness that yeah, he had exactly. to and deal I, with all his life. I, I think that sort of emphasizes mm -hmm. or that uh, magnifies mm -hmm. the sense of self-transcendence mm -hmm. to go himself yeah, in the yeah. epidemic, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because if anybody could be excused right. for focusing on his preaching and his writing, yeah. give right. this guy a yeah. pass, yeah. You know? yeah. Don't put him at risk. Yeah, yeah. right, he could have said, yeah, I've, I've got a deadline to meet That's here with this right. latest yeah. book, uh, you follow so-and-so, you, you, right. you, you go take care of the dying. <laughs> Don't put my oratorians at risk or me either, but I, there, there's a generosity of spirit that comes out yeah. in a variety of ways, you know, yeah. and it, it is that sense that he's not self-referential in a, a self-centered uh -huh. way. His, his personalism is not individualism. Yeah. It really has a relational yeah. fabric mm -hmm. uh, that is almost ever-present, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. relating to God as well as others yeah. and especially those listening to him proclaim well, the would, word. Would you say that, I mean, despite the uh, 
emphasis upon the heart. He doesn't wear his heart on his sleeve. No, I mean, he's not right. filled with feelings, and, and he no. wants to make a gift of what I'm feeling. Yeah. Uh, he, he's he not at all it was, like he that. He thought it was a perverse thing to try to stir up the heart directly. Yes. He thought that's what the evangelicals of his day did. Right. They, as he says, they preach conversion instead of preaching Christ. Yeah. So you hold up Christ to yeah. uh, your congregation and let conversion happen yeah. in response, but you don't whip up feelings of conversion directly. And, and yet he, and, he, he speaks about fear, yeah. zeal, yeah. but most especially love. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so he's not estranged at all from the emotions that he feels. No. In fact, at times I get a sense like, He's a lot like me. He could be very moody, you know, uh, and yeah. I've heard biographers say yeah. as much. Yeah. But there's always the sense that Christ is calling him out of himself yeah. Yeah. in love, right. you know, right. not an extraction, but an invitation. One of the things that has been said is that, and maybe you could speak to it, that he was a prophet of the Second Vatican Council. Yeah. Yeah. So speak to that. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the thing I was mentioning, this desire to listen to uh, the world and its spokesman and listen to new ideas, new challenges. Uh, that, you know, it's the spirit of Vatican II. Gaudium et spes, you know, the Gaudium et spes, the joy and the hope of the men and women of our time. So the council says it wants to, even to listen to the atheists, it yeah, says, yeah. Uh, so as to do them justice uh, and to enter in with uh, uh, real empathy uh, mm. for them. So uh, that forward-looking thing of creative encounter with new challenges, uh, that's what the council uh, uh, was all about, at least Gaudium et Spes is all about that. And so one, I think, can rightly read him as a kind of one of those prophetic figures preparing the ground in the church for the council. Well, isn't that really the Pauline uh, imperative that we become all things yeah, uh, right. you know, to all men. Right, that, right. that I think you mentioned that, that you know, even the experience of the infidel, yeah. uh, that mindset yeah. of yeah. disbelief, yeah. Uh, Newman could enter into that yeah. and, and somehow appreciate it from the inside and, and granted a certain tentative sympathy. Yeah. I mean, he, he doesn't really, uh, pronounced learnedly on a suffering that he himself right. has not faced. Right. And you, you make the point that Max Shaler, mm. who in so many ways uh, mm. is, is a wonderfully prophetic, insightful uh, fellow, yeah. nevertheless could not, did not think it necessary to feel something yourself yeah. in order to appreciate or identify yeah, with yeah. someone else's feelings. Right. Newman would never have gone there. Yeah, no, no. It has to be your own he had, experience. Had, he had an extraordinary, inspired capacity of empathy. Yeah. Of entering into, uh, even unbelievers see shocked sometimes his listeners by the exactness of detail that he got yeah. in explaining why the unbeliever stays at a distance from us. His treatment of the conscience, we don't have the time to yeah. go into it now, but yeah. I must admit yeah. that that is also perhaps one of his most significant yeah. contributions. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, the magisterial influence right. of conscience, right. that role that it plays, right, right. but without lapsing into any kind of relativism yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, this is his preferred path to God. Right. right. Not the deductive proofs, yeah. but this encounter with the living God yeah. conscience. That, by the way, would be his personalism right. again. Right. Yeah. The, the preference of that encounter yeah. to 
the abstract. The heart and the proof. conscience are almost yeah. like yeah. the sanctuary yeah, right, of the soul. Right, exactly. Right. It really brings us back to that. The holy yeah, of holies. Yeah, yeah. Well, this intense self-awareness of the, of the infinite distance between myself and God, that yeah. does induce, I think, a healthy yeah. sense of sin. And he had that. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's not an abstract uh, sense. It's not disembodied. Yeah. And, and also when he makes judgments, it's not from a higher vantage point, yeah. a, a perfectionism, I, I think you call it. Uh-huh. No, he's right there. Yeah, he's immersed that. in yeah. this wounded human condition. Right. That makes him all the more credible. Yeah, I think. exactly. Amen. That's great. And, and up next, our panel and our guest will share their final thoughts on St. John Henry Newman. Please stay with us. Sickness or perplexity or sorrow may be necessary causes of some great end, which is quite beyond us. He does nothing in vain. He may prolong my life. He may shorten it. He knows what he is about. St. John Henry Newman, Meditations and Devotions. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've come to our final segment. So Regis, if you would start us off with your final thoughts. Yeah, uh, there is a a kind of paradox uh, uh, that uh, one finds in Newman, uh, in his persona, his character. I mean, on the one hand, here is a man of great learning, high culture, what you call exquisite sensibility. You read his poetry uh, and the prose, uh, and, and it's, it's luminously clear and beautiful and elegant. He was a distinguished prose stylist. So you would almost expect a drift into skepticism, maybe a certain aesthetical fixation. But no, the surface of life is not enough. He wants to plunge right down to the very bottom. And here's the same guy uh, who is so enamored of beauty, yet uh, drawn Uh, to uh, a God who uncompromisingly rejects the world because uh, the spirit of the age is is that of of mammon. Uh, And that that antagonism, I think, is what drew you uh, early on. That really captivated you. Not not so much the prose and the poetry, but this adamantine sense that God really does stand athwart the pretensions of of the age, and the age has got to convert. And Newman becomes sort of an instrument whereby that conversion uh, can happen uh, in the the 19th century. And the fruits are only now being gathered in, uh, in this post-conciliar age. And and that's the prophetic quality of the man, which you enshrine so well in this this really quite lovely book, John. I hope uh, everybody buys it and they turn it into a movie. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll work on that. You can play Newman in his Uh, yes. Scott. Well, just a few personal reflections on the book, but on the man. First, I would say I'm grateful to God that the church finally got around to canonizing him, you know, in 2019. Uh, I'm also grateful for this book. Uh, I've read other books, uh, but I think in some ways this is helpful for people who want to understand 
Vatican II. Yeah. Um, because as we were saying, you know, he's the precursor in so many ways, almost in a prophetical sense, yeah. uh, with the conscience, with personalism, with the laity, mm-hmm. you know, with the need for a lay, an active lady, right. you know, right. and uh, right. a liberal education that truly sets right. us free to serve Christ and to right. contemplate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think a, a new generation is rising up and they feel more besieged. Yeah. And so they tend to be more reactive right. towards Vatican II. And there are, there are reasons I can understand. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the minds and the mouths of lesser persons, you know, these sorts of things could be dangerous. Yeah. But when you look at the laity, when you look at yeah. the conscience, when you look at, you know, the freedom yeah. and the personalism yeah. of John Paul, you realize this is not a deviation yeah. or this isn't even a detour. This really is showing us yeah. the, the openness of the faith and its dynamism to engage. You know, yeah. I must admit that after Vatican II, you know, the living water didn't flow out as much as the yeah. backwaters yeah. flowed in. Yeah. Uh, but that's not because of the teaching yeah. of the gospel or the teaching, you know, right. of the right. of the documents. But I do think that he could be a prophetical patron to kind of show right. us how we could make the world safe again for everything that you're finding, right. you know, right. in the in the conciliar teaching that's yeah. so solid. Yeah, that's great, great. Thank yeah. you, Good. Yeah. Dr. Crosby. Yeah. yeah, well, my uh, comments are really along the lines of both of yours, namely that there is in Newman a wonderful union of apparent opposites. And uh, it's expressed uh, beautifully uh, in his wonderful formulation in one place like this. But one aspect of revelation must not be allowed to exclude or obscure another. And Christianity is dogmatical, devotional, and practical all at once. It is esoteric and exoteric. It is indulgent and strict. It is light and dark. It is love and it is fear, meaning yeah. religious fear of God. Yeah. But that uh, vision of the apparent opposites and the unity that they form in Christianity is a wonderful vision and it's a key to Newman. He combines apparent opposites in himself. Yeah. Like you say, this high culture is combined with this radical Christianity. Mm-hmm. Usually those two things break apart in a person. Right. In Newman they're fused together. Uh, and you, you don't mention that uh, he's got, he's the key to the truth about the council, and yet there's no more conservative person in the sense of wanting yeah. to preserve that legacy of the apostolic church, and the church of the martyrs. He wanted to bring that into the Church of England, and so he is unconditionally committed to that, even while he's open to these challenges in the future and wants to do something creative in response to those challenges. Uh, And and so uh, that's something to be admired, I think, uh, that union of opposites. And it it warns us not to read Newman selectively. It's very easy just to read the the sermons of Newman and say, "Uh aha, he hated liberalism, you know, he's one of us restorationists, you know, or harsh traditionalists. or you read the things about what's coming in the future and the, the prophetic anticipation of the council, and people say, ah, see, he's one of us liberals. Right. Uh, uh, he wants Vatican III, too. Uh, so uh, one can uh, easily abuse Newman for a particular agenda. A progressive traditionalist. Uh, yes, uh, yes, either. Uh, and, and, but the whole Newman is 
uh, we've got to honor the whole Newman and not let him be parceled out like that right, and yeah. see that this wonderful symphony of yeah, truth, yeah. even under apparently opposite aspects, no. is there in his teaching. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Uh, we have an article written by Dr. Crosby on, on the saint. If you're interested, you can, it's yours free if you simply go to uh, faith, excuse me, go to faithandreason.com or call the number that you're going to see at the screen in just a moment. Uh, one of the things I think I spent time with thinking about and reflecting and praying about was he is a priest. Yeah. And, and there was something about that and just his at the heart of our, our faith is messy, right? Yeah. Jesus enters into the messiness. And I just saw in, in him uh, a pastor, a priest, an educator, a teacher who is willing to get into the messiness. Yeah. You know, I think in my mind at times, the heart is, it's a wonderful place to be and it's a messy place to be and it's a hard place to be. And yeah. Newman was willing to be there. And I think as, as you alluded that that was one of his graces is that that he had this connection and he would, yeah. people trusted to let yeah. him into that yeah. and he trusted and was vulnerable enough to allow other people to yeah. come into that. And I think as a priest and, and hopefully as a pastor here at the university yeah. that, that that's what I want to try to emulate, yeah. That, yeah. that the intellect and the heart, they, they don't need to be opposed to one another. Again, but to your point about yeah. the opposites. And, yeah. and for me, I think that was probably my takeaway, mm -hmm. that, that he was a pastor, he was a priest, he loved his people, he served his people, he was present for his people. Right. So right. thank you so much for yeah. the gift of that. Thank you for uh, oh, it's my, me my, and for having a session. It's our pleasure. Newman. It's always a yeah. pleasure. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to invite you to join Franciscan University of Steubenville, our mission here to educate, to evangelize, and send forth joyful disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit. We offer many academically, academically and passionately Catholic undergraduate programs. Uh, we have campus, obviously, here on campus, but also online. So we have all kinds of opportunities for you to be a part of our university community. Why don't we just come together and ask the Lord's blessing upon us yeah. as we pray and, and particularly seek the intercession of, of St. John Henry Newman. Lord, we thank you for our time together this morning, the blessing and the grace that it is that our hearts and our minds would be turned towards you, that the same spirit that animated John Henry Newman as a 15-year-old young boy would animate us and help us to love Christ as he loved Christ. May Almighty God pour His blessings upon you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents, or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888 333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357.